0: This morning, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Ezra chapter 5, where we will look at a brief passage there, verses 1 and 2. And at the same time, I want you to turn to Haggai chapter 1. And as I measure my Bible, these are, if you find these spots, you will divide your Bible into thirds, if that helps you geographically locate these two books. Ezra's about a third of the way through the Old Testament. Haggai's is about two-thirds of the way through the whole Bible. So Ezra chapter 5 and Haggai chapter 1. This morning we are called to audit our lives as individuals, but also to audit our life as a congregation. We're instructed throughout the scriptures to constantly be auditing ourselves. You hear this over and over again through the Old Testament as well as the New. There's specific addresses to specific people. There's general addresses to us generally as Christians. I'll give you two examples. Elders are instructed very, very explicitly in Scripture to audit themselves constantly. We are teachers And in our teaching capacity in the church, we teach with our words and we teach with our actions and they must match. And we're called to audit this element of our ministry and our service in Christ's church. Paul told Timothy, the elder in Ephesus, to keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching and to persist in this. For by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers he says keep a close watch on yourself audit yourself he says persist in this it's ongoing it does not stop to the church at large paul wrote to the church in rome these words romans 12:2 do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God. What is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We're prone to chase after the world. And we need warnings like this. We're to renew our minds instead of being conformed to this world that we live in. We are to renew our minds and we are to be testing our minds, so that we can discern what is the will of God and therefore by implication do it. I'm so glad we serve a God who tells us to stop and take a look and take inventory and check and remove things and add things to our lives that would bring us more in conformity to his will. And this morning he does this in the lives of the the Jews who have returned to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. And in so doing, he also addresses us even from his Old Testament scriptures. This morning, God is going to use a very strong command for us. It's three words. It's the title of this sermon. We'll hear it twice in the text in Haggai. And it is this, God calls us to consider your ways. We're coming to a text this morning that is calling us to consider our ways as we serve the living God. So I want you to look with me. We're going to be mostly in Haggai, but let's kick this thing off with Ezra chapter 5, verse 1. And I want to show you the Lord confronting us through His Word and through the actions of people that have existed long before us. And I want to show you how we are to consider our ways like God challenged these people to consider their ways. Look at Ezra 5.1. Now the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Iddo, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Let's stop right there. We now jump to Haggai. And I will say that Haggai chapter 1 verses 1 through 11 coincide with that one verse out of Ezra chapter 5. Let's, let's establish some parameters here first. Let's date stamp what we're looking at here in history. Ezra says, now the prophets Haggai and Zechariah. Let's date stamp Ezra's now that begins Ezra 5.1. If you look right back at Ezra 4.24, you'll see that Ezra writes this. Then the work on the house of God that is in Jerusalem stopped and it ceased until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. That's the now. We're in the second year of the reign of Darius, the king of Persia. Hagai confirms this date in Haggai 1.1. He says, "...in the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Jehozadak, the high priest." So we're dealing with the second year of Darius, the king of Persia. And that year, as history tells us, is the year 520 B.C. In chapter 4 of Ezra, the people rebuilding the temple were discouraged from the rebuilding efforts in 536 B.C. We are now in 520 B.C. So the now in Ezra chapter 5.1 is 16 years later. And for 16 years, the people did not work on the temple of God. 16 years. This is why they were sent back. God made a decree through Cyrus the king in 538 B.C. You send people back. I need my temple in Jerusalem rebuilt. But we know in chapter 4 that there were Samaritans who married Assyrians and others. And these people asked, hey, let us help you rebuild the temple. And they said, no, you have nothing to do with the God that we are building a temple for. We will do this on our own. And we know that those people then frustrated the plans of the Israelites. They intimidated them. They, they practiced legal maneuverings against them and lobbied back in Persia, back in Babylon, And they even got a judicial restraining order put upon them. They brought to the halt 50,000 people who were to rebuild the temple of God, and they did this successfully for 16 years. So what's God going to do with this? This, These are storm clouds building out west. (laughs) What is God going to do with this? Is he going to passively look the other way and, kind of shrug and say, I wish these people would get it. Well, I I pray that he wouldn't respond like that because they'll only drift further. He's got to intervene. Uh, On the other side, will he just annihilate them and remove them from the face of the earth? Well, we don't want that either because like like Moses pleading for Israel as they made the golden calf, Lord, if you strike them down, who will there be to carry your name to the nation's? So what's God going to do? We don't want either one of those responses. Well, this morning in this text, we're going to see God act like a father. He loves these people. He's going to discipline them and confront them. And he's going to instruct them. And he's going to encourage them. And he's going to enable them to do his will. Because he's going to call them to consider their ways. And we need this. We need this every Sunday we gather. We're going to get it especially this morning. So God sends two men to these people in Judah. Haggai and Zechariah. They're prophets. They're preachers. They proclaim God's word to God's people. That's what a prophet is. And what they say is not their own words. They didn't size up the moment and say, you know, I think this, Israel. No, they come to these people and they say, thus saith the Lord. They speak on his behalf. And we're going to look at what they said. We're going to look at Guys' message this morning. So now look with me at Haggai chapter 1. We'll pick up in verse 2 and we're going to work our way through verse 11 for part 1. And then part 2 of this sermon, we'll take 12 through 15, which coincides with Ezra 5, 2. And I'll take you there in just a moment. Let's look first in Haggai 1, 2 through 11 at the discipline of the Lord. And in this moment of discipline, we're going to trace God's discipline through five statements. Five issues. The first is a statement of the situation. God sizes up for these people the situation because they need help. They are so stuck in their situation that they don't understand their situation. And so in verse 2, he says this. Hey, guy says, thus says the Lord of hosts. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. That's a statement of the situation. God has sized it up rightly. He uses a really fearful term here. In the quote, he says, These people. He doesn't say my people. For the moment he says, these people, when he said these people in the past, he's usually included in these stiff-necked people, these obstinate people, these disobedient people. So in this moment, he doesn't say my people. He says these people. There's some distance between God and these people in the moment. He says they've used their own reasoning and they have determined that it's not yet time to fully devote ourselves to worshiping God in the rebuilding of His temple. Why did they conclude this? Well, we've talked about it. They were persecuted unmercifully by the Samaritans, and their plans were frustrated. We can conclude rightly that they feared man more than they feared God. And they allowed this fear of man to send them into a passive mode as it relates to the worship of God, who called them out of exile back into Jerusalem. And so personal preservation became their focus. And their personal preservation is going to get exposed by God. He's going to call them out blow by blow, account by account for what they've done in neglecting this duty of worship and this pleasure of reestablishing temple worship. These people relaxed their ambition for God and they put other things ahead of worshiping Him. And God is not pleased with this and He does not let this go unchecked. He, he cannot and be the God of the Bible that existed all before this moment in history. So we go to the second statement. It's a statement of accusation. God levels charges against these people. Not my people yet, these people. Look in verse 3, let's look at 3 through 7 and then we'll glance at verse 9. Then by the word of the Lord, the Lord, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Quote, is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Consider your ways. Verse 9. My house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. These are serious charges. The accusation is this. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while the house of the Lord lies in ruins? Imagine having to answer God that question. But I want you to know we get that question. Sometimes we're stuck in the details of life and we miss that question. But we get wrapped around the axle and we get astray from worshiping God as he has called us to. And he must come to us and say, consider your ways. And he does that with us this morning. He says, my house is lying in ruins while each of you, you're all busy building your own house. Consider your ways, you people. So they, we see here, let God's house lie in ruins while they concern themselves with their own houses for 16 years. We could go on and on about the state of their houses. They're paneled. (laughs) Where'd they get the cedar to panel those houses? Lebanon, maybe? They took the assets and the resources that were procured to build the house of God and they stuck them in their own houses. They turned to agricultural interests. They turned to food and drink and clothing and work and wages. That's what they were focusing their lives on. Those were more important than the right worship of God as God has called them to. So God twice says, consider your ways. Consider your ways. Think about what you're doing. Think about what you're doing to me, the Lord of hosts. That's what he says. So there's a statement of accusation there. Let's look at the third statement. It's a statement of consequences. He levels upon them a statement of punishment for this neglect. Verse 10. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew. And the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and on the hills. On the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth. On man and beast and on all their labors. It's a statement of punishment. You will not thrive through this season Of 16 years of neglect. It will not be good for you. Therefore this is what I'm going to bring upon you. So in their neglect of God. They have really and truly neglected themselves. Do you see this? In their neglect of God. In worshipping him rightly. They have harmed themselves. The things of the world don't prove to satisfy them. They grow crops, but there's drought. They eat food, but they're not full. They drink, but they're not satisfied. They earn wages, but it goes into bags with holes in them. And they lose it. They're not satisfied. It's not working out for them. And they need to consider their ways. They need to consider God. They need to do an audit. They need to learn that only the things of God will bring satisfaction and wholeness. Only the things of God. Look at verse 9. I I really look at this and shake my head. You looked for much and behold it came to little. And when you brought it home I blew it away. God, in His grace, did not permit these people to be satisfied and successful and prosperous while they neglected Him. That's a good God, by the way. That's a really, really good God. That's Father God. Because a father would never allow his child to live in harm's way unconfronted. He's a good God, He's a Father. It's really interesting. He said, uh, you, when you brought it home, I blew it away. There's, there's some irony there. This is the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. They're rebuilding the temple. Before they did that, they rebuilt the altar. Well, we know from 1 Chronicles, I believe it's in chapter 21, where David purchased the place for the altar from Ornan. And Ornan had a threshing floor right there. And on a threshing floor, you took the wheat that has been harvested, and you thresh it, and then you throw it up in the air, and what happens to the chaff? It gets blown away. God's treating all of their work for 16 years on themselves as chaff. (sighs) Blows it away. No grain. Hungry, not satisfied. There's a colleague of mine that has a, a pretty effective approach to evangelism. He he goes to people and he says, what do you live for? That's his first question. What do you live for? And after hearing their answer, he says, how's that working out for you? That's a really effective way you you want to know how to go to work tomorrow or school tomorrow and evangelize someone ask them that what do you live for because what they live for is going to be the the answer to that is this is what i worship and then chase it with how's that working out for you well let's ask this question to these israelites what do you live for and they would say i live for paneled houses. And I live for harvests. And I live for food and drink and clothing and wages. I live for that. How's it working out for you? Not so good. For 16 years it feels like I've been chasing after the wind. And the wind keeps blowing and I can't catch it. How's that working out for you? Not very good. There's a fourth statement now we move to in verse 8. Statement of instruction. Watch God now turn. He's been disciplining them. Now he's going to equip them and give them instruction. Verse 8, he says, Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. There's his line of instruction. Consider your ways. And I guess he's saying, now consider my ways. And my ways are, you need to go up into the hills and you need to get some wood and you need to start building. You need to do what you should have done 16 years ago. You need to build a house for me, your God. You need to build a temple for me to dwell in. And you need to come there and be with me and worship me. It's time to get after it. He's got a purpose for this. Not just doing this on a whim. He's got a purpose. That I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified. This is why God wants a temple built. It's not just some machination of duties and responsibilities to see if his little robots will do what he wants. No, he wants people to gather in a place where he can dwell and he wants to be in relationship with them. He's a good God. Good father. And then our fifth statement, I'm going to build on that one. It's a statement of result. Look at the result of their obedience. If they go into the hills and get wood and come and build the temple, the result is that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. How is that a result for the people? It sounds like a result for God. Well, their reward Is found in God's benefits. That's how big God is. Everything's about God. It's not about us. God is the center of all things. And if God takes pleasure in it, and if God is glorified in it, it's good for us. I promise you. I promise you. Matthew 6 25. Our Christ said this in His Sermon on the Mount address. Therefore, don't be anxious saying, what shall we eat? Or What shall we drink? Or What shall we put on? For the Gentiles seek after all of these things. And your Heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. That's what these people need to do. This is how when God is pleased and glorified, we've sought the kingdom of heaven. All these things are added unto us. Peace. Relationship with God. That's all we really want. It's not a prosperity gospel that they, the money bags now get the holes filled in and all the crops grow. And they get, It's not that. It's that we live with God in his kingdom and we are satisfied to the full. In him rightly being worshipped by us. And when he is pleased and glorified. We thrive as a people. Because we're his. So if these Israelites will go into the hills and gather wood and build the temple. I'd like to come back to them and say, what do you live for? Hey, we live for building the temple of the Lord. How's that working out for you? Tremendous. Couldn't be any better. Better. This side of heaven. (laughs) It's great. That's the lesson. This morning. From Israel. Coming from exile out of Babylon. Back into the homeland. Disobedient for 16 years. Neglecting the house of the Lord. While they invested in themselves. That's the message this morning. So I'm going to ask a question for us. Of application. What does it look like. For us to neglect the house of the Lord. I hope after the last couple of weeks we understand it has nothing to do with carpet and metal roofs, paint and tile. Has nothing to do with that. This is a building where the church meets. This building is not the church. We are the church. I want to trace real quickly through history the temple of the Lord. I hope this solidifies it for us. The temple, we must understand, is where God dwells. In the Old Testament, it was stones and cedar beams and tapestries and gold and lampstands and everything. In the Old Testament, In Ezra, we understand that there is a time for them to build the house of the Lord and it is a building. But as we progress through Christian history, as we progress through salvation history, the history of redemption, we watch this temple concept change. And it goes away from physical material items of the world to spiritual flesh and immaterial things of the kingdom of God so in the old testament we had a temple built by Solomon it's destroyed now the Israelites are trying to rebuild it it's going to get destroyed again AD 70 by the way and and then right at about uh, the first century the turn of the to the from the bc to the ad here comes Jesus Christ And we understand that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So the Word is God. Jesus is the Word. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, tented among us, tabernacled among us. God used to live in a tabernacle in the wilderness with Israel. Now He lives in a tabernacle of God the Son, Jesus Christ, born of the Virgin Mary. So there's a season now in history where the temple of God is Jesus Christ. Jesus says in John 2, If you destroy this temple in three days, I will raise it up. Speaking of the temple of God, Him Himself. The Jews said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple. And will you raise it up in three days? And John narrates for us. But he was speaking about the temple of His body. This is why Jesus is also called Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. So the temple in Jesus's day is Jesus Christ. Yeah, there's a temple and there's still there's a transition period, but Jesus Christ is the ultimate dwelling place of God in the flesh. And by the way, that temple was destroyed. And 3 days later it was raised again destroyed on our behalf we had a part in destroying it it was destroyed because of our sins he didn't know any sin he didn't deserve to be destroyed but God took pleasure in destroying him because he saw that it would bring healing to us so by his wounds we are healed but that temple was not left destroyed it too was rebuilt on the third day and resurrected and if we believe in this then we become part of the body of Christ, and we become the temple. Watch how it continues to trace. I read this, I believe, last Sunday, First Corinthians three sixteen. Do you not know that you are God's temple, and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Paul is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the Corinthian church. And all the you's, by the way, are all plural. He's talking to a body of people, and he's saying, you. In Texan, he was saying, y'all are the temple of God. You. So you see the transition, Old Testament temple, stones and cedar beams and everything else. New Testament temple, there's a transition through Jesus Christ, the temple of God, to now we, the believers of Christ, we're also called the body of Christ. We are the temple. We. So now we have to ask ourselves the questions. How are we doing in building the temple of the Lord? We don't just sit here and chew our cud. We have to be engaged in temple worship. If we consider our ways, we have to have some pretty tough questions. And so, as one of your pastors, this week I evaluated us. This is what God's called me to do among other men evaluate us. How are we doing on building the temple of the Lord? I've looked at areas that we're prone to wonder in, drift, looked where we might be self-preserving. And I think what I've seen is common in all churches. I don't think this is unique to us, but what's unique is we're going to talk about it. Because we want to consider our ways. We want God-pleased and glorified in us. Right? So, as I look at us, if we devote our lives to career building, career building, secular career building, And we give our best there, and we neglect our contribution to the church and service. We're Israel in 520 BC, and we need to consider our ways. If we're career building, I I say that career building draws us away from serving in the temple of God. Because we're so focused on serving out there in a secular endeavor that we're going to neglect because we're either exhausted or we don't even have a mind to devote ourselves to our unique individual roles in this temple of God that we're to be building. If I look at ourselves, we are prone to wander in the area of asset accumulation or what I'd call income growth. We all are after that. By the way, careers aren't bad, and income isn't bad. But if these come to devour us and dominate our thinking and our efforts and our passions and our joy and satisfaction is found in them, I pray that God would blow it away. Because it won't be good for us now, although we might think it is for a season, and it certainly won't be good for us in eternity. So, God, would you blow it away if we have turned our hearts towards income accumulation or career advancement or company building and structuring? You know, I've found that if we pursue asset accumulation or income growth, that's going to manifest itself in us not being faithful in giving. Are we faithful? In giving, we need to consider our ways. Are we faithful in serving? There's another one that's overtaking America sports. This affects everybody from the crib to senior adulthood. And this is a sports guy talking to you. But boy, we've made an idol out of sports. Look at all the devotion, all the money, and all the effort, and all the time that we give to sports. Look at what we're doing with our kids and sports. What I found is our devotion to sports, and I guess we could say entertainment, but what our devotion to sports does is it affects our attendance at the temple. You know what I mean it draws us out of here on Sundays the Lord's Day and I'm watching the American church abandon Sunday morning worship this is the moment when we are the most clear manifestation of the temple of God we are the temple right now we are true it's true when we're alone in our homes during the week But there is no more magnificent moment when Rocky Point Baptist Church is a local manifestation of the temple of God than right this minute. And yet we are very prone and very easily drawn out of here for sports. And I think God would say to us, consider your ways. That's a paneled house to my neglect. That's serious. If we devote our lives to those things and we neglect our roles of ministry in the body of Christ, we, I pray, will live in constant frustration. It will not work out for us. It might for a few years. It might for ten years. But it will not long term work out for us. God don't let it work out for us. And I need you to know. I'll preach this sermon in any church. That will invite me to preach it. It isn't just us that needs to hear this. But boy we need to get it right. Right here amongst us. Because we are who we are. In God. In Christ. The temple. The Old Testament existed for the glory of God and today the church, the body of Jesus Christ is God's temple and we are to exist for God's glory alone. And when he is glorified, we're in the best place we could ever be. I plead with you to trust me on this. And I also plead you to remind me of what I'm saying to us because I struggle here. We have to, as a church, remind one another. What are you living for? How's it working out for you, Edward? We've got to have those kinds of conversations with one another. The world wants to call it confrontation. I call it love. Let's love each other and say, brother or sister, what is it that you're living for? We need to be honest with each other. We need to say evaluate how it's working out for us, and then we need to consider our ways. Yeah, the church today is God's temple. Ephesians four twelve. God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers, shepherd teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And then listen to this: for building up the body of Christ, building. The body of Christ. The body of Christ is the temple of God. We're saints. Some of us are pastor teachers. We're to equip us to build up the temple of God in our context called Rocky Point Baptist Church. That's exactly what the issue was with Israel in 520 B.C., And the issue with Rocky Point Baptist Church in 2017 A.D. Parallel. Nothing new under the sun. So indifference towards the church and its mission is a lack of ambition for the glory of God. And let's agree with one another. We're not going to live in a place like that. Lacking ambition for the pleasure and the glory of God. We cannot be found there. We cannot. All right. Last point. We'll go quick here. Uh, number three, well, I want to go back to Ezra chapter two, uh, J- Ezra chapter five, verse two. Let's just read that verse. Don't lose your spot in Haggai because we're going right back over there in Ezra five, two, after the prophets spoke the word of God to to uh, the leaders, we read this. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel and Jeshua, the son of Jozadak, Arose and began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem, and the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. It's going to be all right. They're going to respond really well here now. The people of God, I got two points here obey and fear the Lord, and then the Lord encourages and enables them. There's relationship happening here now. Look at Haggai one twelve. As I said, 12 through 15 go with Ezra 5.2. Haggai one twelve. Then Zerubbabel, it's going to sound the same. And the son of Shealtiel. And Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. With all the remnant of the people. Obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And the words of Haggai the prophet. As the Lord their God had sent him. And the people... Feared the Lord. Boy, that's good news. What a great response. To the God who said. Consider your ways. What a great response. We need to mimic this. They obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. They considered their ways. The leaders led out. Zerubbabel and Jeshua led out. They heard from Haggai. They heard God through Haggai. And they led the people out to rebuild the remnant of the people all of them the scripture says followed the lead of their leaders and so they were all as a congregation building leaders people and even these two prophets who came and spoke to them the word of God boy that's it The temple of God, a church, is not something that a bunch of pastors do. And there's some folks called congregants that are along for the ride, sitting back saying, what do you got for us? No, we're sheep too. I'm a member of this church. Yes, I'm a pastor of this church, but I'm a member of this church. And we, I equip and then I stand with you and we build up the body of Christ for the pleasure and glory of God, so that the world may know that God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, and loved them. They feared God. They feared God instead of man. I want you to know the fear of the Lord is a a really, really good thing. It, It sounds oxymoronic, but it's... And maybe it is, but listen, the God of the Bible is counterintuitive to the culture and the world that we live in as fallen human beings. The fear of the Lord is like no other fear that we ever have known. When we fear things of this world, we run from them, wisely so. But when we we fear God, listen to me, we should not run from Him. What should we do? We should run to Him. Adam and Eve sinned against God and they hid in the bushes. They ran from God. We're prone to do that. We need to run to Him. Saying, Abba, Father, we've wronged you. We've considered our ways. So we need to run to God. And and I'm going to ask the question this morning. In what area of life do you as an individual and do we as a congregation need to run to the Lord in repentance? Individually, it's different for some of us. Congregationally, we're all in this together. This is not a self serve place where you come plug in. This is a family concept, a congregation. It's a whole temple, not a bunch of individual little bitty temples. So, do we need to run to the Lord in repentance as it relates to church engagement? Asking the leaders, elders, deacons, teachers, and all the people serving. In our leadership role in the church, are we neglecting it in any way, shape, or form? If so, we need to run to the Lord in repentance and say, we've considered our ways. We're here to build. Giving of offerings. Are we putting wages into bank accounts and investments that have holes in them? That's an intense question from a pulpit, isn't it? We need to consider our ways. Because our giving builds the temple of the Lord even globally. Because there is a concept where all Christianity is one big temple of the Lord. And we have a lot of work to do to build the gospel into the nations and into this community. Are we pursuing the things of the world, career, sports, food, clothing, to the neglect of God's temple, the body of Christ, the church? If that is true of us as individuals or us as a congregation, we must run to the Lord and repent. I want you to watch God's response to their repentance and their fear and their obedience. Verse 13, the Lord encourages and enables his people now. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. And here's what God says, quote, I am with you, declares the Lord. (laughs) Ha ha. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. And on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king, that's when it all began again. The Lord encouraged His people to obey His good command his good command it was not a burden build my temple it's the best thing you could ever do you know Lord said this earlier in the original version of this temple he uh, in 1st chronicles 28 20 David is delegating the building of the temple to his son Solomon because God forbade him from building it himself and so David said to the son of Solomon, his son, be strong and courageous and do it. He's speaking of building the temple. Do it. Be strong and courageous and do it. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. For the Lord God, even my God, is with you. He just told these rebuilding Israelites, I'm with you. He will not leave you or forsake you until all the work for the service of the house." Of the Lord is finished. God's doing it again. With Israel. In the rebuild. I'm with you. Do not fear. Do all of this work. Until you're finished. In the service of the building. Of the house. That I am to dwell in. And so as God. Encouraged Solomon through David. David. And now the Israelites, through Haggai, he also encourages you and me through his word. the Lord enabled them also he it says it again, he stirred up the spirit of all the leaders and all the remnant. We heard that back in In Ezra chapter 1, he stirred up Cyrus' heart and he stirred up the fathers of Israel's heart and all the people, he stirred their hearts up and they went back to Jerusalem and in the stirred up state of heart, what did they do? They built the altar right out of the gate. And then they got discouraged and they shut down for 16 years. Here he is again, after they feared him and obeyed him, he's stirring again. He's enabling them to build the temple that he is to dwell in. And I'm pleading with God, and I have all week. Would you stir us up, Lord? You call us to consider our ways. Call us to do that. Call our whole congregation. Let's consider our ways as a church. And then let us fear and obey you, Lord, and come to you in repentance. And then, Lord, encourage our people and stir us up and enable us be a magnificent temple where you find great pleasure and where you are glorified. Why? Well, that's good enough reason. But we want the whole world to see your glory and your pleasure and to become your people with us and to join in building a great, mighty temple for Christ to rule and reign over for all of eternity. So this morning I ask. We need to take an audit of ourselves and as our church. And the question we need to ask is, what do we live for? How's that working out for us? Let's consider our ways in light of those questions and answers. And where we are wrong, let's fear God, obey his voice and bring him great pleasure and glory Father we need this you give it to us so often throughout all the scriptures through all of the history of redemption you've constantly called your people to consider their ways and this morning as an act of worship of you I pray that I have been able to lead these your people and me consider our ways father would you bless the building efforts that we undertake would you stir us up to build a church that brings you pleasure and glory would you enable us to deny ourselves Convict us where we're pursuing paneled houses to the neglect of your house. And lead us on the way everlasting. We pray this in the strong name of our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen.